Hello, and welcome to Hightower Advisors' first episode of the Wealth Report podcast, where each month we will sit down for a conversation with someone from the Hightower community to discuss timely topics that can help us all move toward our own definition of true wealth. My name is Mike Drennan. I'm an executive director and advisor success consultant here at Hightower. And today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Alex Miele, managing director and partner of the Andriol Group, which is located in Madison, Connecticut. Alex is a financial advisor and a certified financial planner. It has been named as one of Forbes' top next-gen wealth advisors in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Alex is a colleague of mine, but I'm also very, very fortunate to be able to call Alex a friend. And today we'll be discussing with Alex this idea of emotional investing. What does that mean? Said another way, managing your emotions in times of extreme stress, which we have no doubt all been under at some point this year. And more specifically, talking with Alex about what you can do to ensure that the emotions during those difficult times don't get in the way of your financial success. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our first episode of the Hightower Wealth Podcast. I'm Mike Drennan, Executive Director and Advisor Success Consultant here at Hightower, and I'm joined by our very special guest, good friend and colleague of mine, Alex Miele. Alex, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's an honor to be featured on this podcast. I'm so excited. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is the first of hopefully many. So we're, we're excited. We're excited to get started. Excited to have you as our, our first guest. And I know many on this or who are listening may not have had the chance to see the new the new magazine that we launched, but we featured you as one of our first authors on this concept of emotional investing. It's a big term want to get into that a little bit and dig into what that means, right? For us laymans who aren't uh, who aren't as well versed in that. But why don't we start by giving the audience a, a background and your experience to where you are today, how you became an advisor? Because I think part of that, just based on when you started, I think has shaped potentially some of your thoughts and views on this. So probably would be very helpful to have that be shared with the audience. Sure. No, I'd be, be happy to start at the beginning. So for those that don't know me, my name is Alex Mealy. I'm a managing director and partner with the Andriel Group. We are located out of Madison, Connecticut. There are nine of us. And our whole practice is really focused on holistic wealth management, right? And even though that's a little bit of an industry buzzword, we really prioritize forming deep relationships with our clients over time that allow us to bring sort of that additional level of meeting to their planning, to their investments, and of course, how we're implementing a lot of these goals that they're sharing with us. By training, I am a certified financial planner. So my work on the team, my role on the team is sort of that that financial planning heavy, right? It's that dreaded checklist that you get the first time you sit down with somebody. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, how, how many documents are they making me pull together, right? But it's through that process, not only the like pulling together of documents and things, but, you know, it's it's in in having those conversations about, you know, this trust or this tax return or what have you that you get to really start to know your client, which is so important when you're talking about the world that we're living in, right, where we're all facing all of these different challenges. So going back to when I first started, I started uh, in on July 1st of 2008. I started in the at a major wire wirehouses training program and I will never forget during those first couple of months being in the office and hearing clients call requesting paper stock certificates and 
you know, I didn't really know what that meant at the time. That was sort of before the Lehman collapse and before, you know, the financial crisis really got heated. And I started to see that the more successful advisors in the office, the ones that didn't have their phones ringing, you know, 24 seven were the ones that really focused on educating their clients as to the risks that they were taking. And unfortunately, that was a minority of advisors, right? So in that large complex where there were, you know, 25 plus teams, you know, maybe it was one or two, right? And most advisors were sort of reacting to their clients reacting to one of the scariest times in, you know, in their lifetimes, right? From a financial crisis perspective. So after watching that, and then unfortunately watching clients making these very dramatic decisions that then later, I mean, months later came back to sort of haunt them. I sort of really wanted to prioritize in my own practice as I was sort of learning what sort of practitioner I wanted to become that educational component. And that, that really, you know, taking the time to slow that, that relationship building down at the beginning to make sure that it's a great fit from a trust perspective for both me and my potential client was really sort of what shaped that, you know, process and and wanting to really focus on the planning piece and and making sure that I understood where the client was coming from when we were talking about these financial goals. That's great. And starting in 2008, I think we all remember that that time I started not too shortly before that and I remember in the moment I was like, wow, this is crazy, stressful, emotional wish I had a guide, wish I had someone that could guide me through this, right? And I'm sure we have all had moments in our lives where we felt on an island, right? Which is where I feel like an advisor like yourself and the Andrilli group can come into play. And the other piece of it, you made a comment around the phones weren't ringing, right? So oftentimes we ask our advisors at Hightower to say, hey, how are things going? If a market crashes a little bit, we see right? Volatility, you assume that's when people are going to pick up the phone and call their advisor. What do I do? Right? What do I do now? Alex, tell me, help me. Right? But we know the ones that are doing the best job is when the phone doesn't ring, like your point, right? Because they've trained, they've educated, they've guided them to not get emotional about it, right? So they see the volatility, but they understand because whether it's the plan that they put in the place, they understand what that means, right? And that's where kind of the uh, the great ones like yourself come in and, and really prove their chops. But it may be helpful if if you maybe talk through an example, right? So this concept of managing, balancing your emotions during extreme stress, right? So that we've all, whether it's a loss of a loved one, loss of a job, something difficult that comes in and there's always a, a, a monetary side of these things, right? That you, in the moment you don't necessarily think of, right? But people make decisions sometimes rashly and that's where hopefully an advisor can help manage that for you. But maybe it'd be helpful to talk through an example. I know COVID, when we're recording this, we have COVID-19. That's that's the latest and the greatest, but there's always going to be something, right? Earlier in the spring, market takes a huge downturn. And I'm sure for most people, they say, okay, what does this mean? Whether they've lost their job or it's just their investments have gone down significantly, what do I do? Right? And this is where I think the moments when, when being mindful and being careful is I think this is what's going to, in, in the long run, benefit everybody. But maybe Maybe we talk about an example that whether it's recent that that you could share, Alex, of how you've helped one of your clients manage through an emotional time. Sure. I think that the other interesting, I mean, again, you know, I've been I've been practicing for 
12 years, but as I'm reminded every day, right? I, you know, the world is always changing. There's always new experiences that are, that are you know, that we're, we're having to manage, right? Alongside with our clients. But one of the things that that I've kind of just on a personal note, noticed throughout these, these major crises, right? Whether or not it be, you know, a market drop because of COVID, whether or not it be, you know, a presidential election that came with a lot of deeply seated emotional feelings, you know, on both sides, right? Whether or not it was, you know, December of 2018, when we had that, you know, really severe market correction and then bounced back in a short period of time, those sort of headline crises often exacerbate personal crises that may be going on with your clients. And more often than not, the phone calls that we get during those times are because there's something else really going on. So I'll share with you, you know, you're talking about examples. I mean, you know, I've definitely got a few throughout different different periods, right? So I will always remember, you know, one of my earliest client relationships back in, you know, 2008, 2009, what she was going through a really awful divorce and she had gotten, you know, basically in a lot of situations when things are hotly contested and when one spouse is the primary asset owner and, and primary income owner, it can be very difficult for that spouse to gain access to funds. So there was a period of time where, you know, she felt like her lifeline had been cut off, right? She was, you know, she was having to submit all these reports to her attorneys about what she was spending and that got overwhelming. And so her, her mindset became, well, I just need to hoard cash. I just need to hoard cash. And her, her divorce took some time, you know, we were working together through that. And in 2011, you know, this, this was not, you know, it wasn't like a, a hugely bad year, right? But it was a volatile year. We had a lot of issues with the, with the European economies sort of still recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. We had a lot of ups and downs in the market. And even though this client was relatively young, you know, she was in her 40s, you know, she really was feeling like she couldn't take any risk because at any moment somebody could swoop in and basically freeze everything, which is what she was going through, you know, during this divorce process. So, you know, we had gotten her through, you know, the divorce, we had gotten her, you know, appropriately balanced portfolio for her long and short-term goals. But then, you know, during the months of 2011, where things were looking really confusing and maybe are we taking a step back? Are we facing another financial crisis in Europe? you know, she, she reverted back to this panic of like, oh my gosh, you know, I can only invest in cash. I got to get out of the market. And it was that, okay, where is this coming from? It was let that's, let's just take a pause before we make any big changes and just really dial into what are you most worried about? And it came back to that. I never want to feel like I don't have money to spend again. And it was a re and it was a reteaching. It was okay, you know. The reason why we've got more cash than we normally would for someone who's in your demographic and your age range is because of this. And we've got you know three years worth of emergency fund cash, where most clients maybe maybe have a year or six months. You know, we're looking forward. We're looking at increasing equity exposure over time as you feel more comfortable. That's why we're starting at a much lower equity percentage than we'd usually have for someone in your shoes. And we also, you know, speaking to that, you know, the in, the knowing your investments, right? So one of the things that that we like to do is we're we're very much in our process within our firm is that we, you know, we like our when our clients own individual stocks and individual bonds because they can see what they own versus a blended investment where it can kind of feel 
just like you're watching this thing go up and down without really knowing what's behind it. When our clients see that they own an Apple or an Amazon or a Johnson and Johnson, they tend to feel a little bit more comfortable holding those names through periods of volatility, right? So, so you know, it can be it can be someone that may, might have just gone through something really traumatic, or more recently, you know, I was had the privilege of working with a woman who had unexpectedly lost her husband, and you know, like. Like most people who are going through a period of loss, it it can be very paralyzing, right? It's, you know, you don't know who to talk to. You don't know who to turn to. This woman in particular had interviewed, I think, seven different advisors and was just feeling so overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that was being thrown at her that her son reached out to me and said, you know, Alex, I just want to, will you, can we pay you to help us select someone? Right. So it was not even like it was not even a potential of like, we want to work with you. It was, you know, my mom's having a really hard time. We need someone to help us understand these proposals. Can you take the time to just sit with us and explain what we're reading? Because we just don't know. We've never had an advisor. We've never worked with anybody. So after about an hour of breaking down these complex, you know, very granular, very quant-based proposals for this woman who, you know, in her, you know, 60 years of age had had never had to make any decisions about investments, let alone like estate planning and gifting and all this other stuff. You know, she at in the middle of the meeting, she's like can I just work with you? Like, do I have to work with these people that I don't understand? And it was that, it was that like, let's slow down the conversation and talk about what is really important to you, which for her was, I need to know I can pay my bills. I want to make sure I can keep this house that's been in our family for generations. And I want to make sure that I can help my kids when they need help. You know, those big, scary proposals with alphas and and standard deviations and all that other stuff, that wasn't what she needed in that moment. And it's not to say that, you know, even a few months later that she wasn't like, okay, you know, like, let's get into this. Like, let's get into the performance differentials and the fees and, and all those granular details. But I think that goes back to, you know, making sure that as an advisor, that you're sort of recognizing where your clients might be in a in a difficult time that might be exacerbated by what's going on in the headlines and then as a client sort of also recognizing that there might be other biases pulling at you whether it be an obvious bias like you've just gone through some sort of trauma or a bias that's inherent that you've learned over time maybe you know you started from nothing and you put everything into your business and you're you know, you're terrified of that thought of like, I don't have control over where my paycheck comes from, right? That's an inherent bias that may drive you to make poor investment choices if you don't address that and acknowledge it and make those investment choices with that bias in mind. So, you know, it can be it, it can be the big obvious things or it can be those, you know, more subtle nuances, but that's the stuff, that's really the art, I think, of what we do. It's It's really being that, you know, not just an advisor, but really almost like a counselor, you know, helping clients sort of manage these emotions and these inherent biases so that they can make, feel empowered to make the, make smart, make and stick to smart investment decisions. Right. Is that something that this, the counselor side of this, right? So when advisors go to school, they learn how to be right, a financial planner, 
how to be an advisor. They talk through investments. Right? I'm sure oftentimes the emotional side is not something that necessarily you can teach, right? So it comes through experience. I mean, how have you and the team at the Andreola Group, how have you developed that process? Is it in your personal side too? It's through just experience of someone came to me and I, you know, in my mind, I've got this plan. I have to get these steps done, right? And then all of a sudden, boom, I'm spending hours talking to them about, you know, I'm their psychologist, right? I'm their, I'm their personal right. financial counselor. You mentioned that term. I love that term, but essentially, right? You, you, either you did or you, either you didn't, or you should have majored in psychology. I feel like in certain times because of what you do, but it's so, so, so powerful, right? And something that can't be necessarily measured of, Hey, what does your advisor do for you? Well, you know, whether you have the couch and they lay on it and then you talk to them or you're just sitting face to face virtually where we all are, which you and I are doing right now. But is that just something you have learned and developed through just experience and encountering these these type of moments of stress, right? Moments of extreme emotion that you've just said, hey, listen, we got to take a step back here and, and let me take you. Let's get, and essentially, you're trying to find the root of the problem, right? Either why are they coming to you, whether it's a parent because it's you know, it's, it's it's an actual event, or there's something that you have to get to the underlying bottom line of like why how they feel and or think about money. It's a great question because it's um and I love that you mentioned majoring in psychology because my senior managing partner and mentor and colleague Charlie Andriel uh, actually did major in psychology at Villanova as at his um, undergrad, and he is he is I would say probably one of my biggest sources of, of inspiration and, and thought leadership on this topic. You know, I, I happened to study behavioral economics during my undergrad and, you know, was fascinated by that sort of, you know, the very, very real, very powerful force that is human behavior that comes into strategic decision-making. But it was really through my partnership and mentorship, you know, that, that Charlie so graciously, you know, shared with me that, that I, got to see him, you know, really through practice, right? I would sit in with him on meetings and and just hear how he would coach, you know, coach clients through really difficult periods or, you know, even if it wasn't a difficult period, really difficult conflicting emotions, whether or not there were, you know, someone that felt personally affected by, you know, what was going on. So like, you know, a good example in COVID is, you know, we had a lot of medical professionals, right, who felt really strongly about what was going on because they were in the front lines every day. You know, whether it was seeing him, you know, sort of talking with his clients and and just sort of guiding them through those, you know, through those decisions, you know, I, I he is a master at that. I co- I continue to learn from him Every time we have a meeting together, I continue to learn from his behavior and how he, you know, is able to really coach people to really sort of uncover those, those, those biases, whether they know about them or not. And I would encourage any advisor who might be starting out or who might be, you know, saying, hey, this is something that, you know, maybe we need to work on in our practice or we, you know, we might be beneficial you know, there are, there are some phenomenal advisors in the Hightower community. I think it's probably more, more common in our community than it is in our industry, right? Where we've got these, you know, these, these amazing mentors on on these top teams that are just, you know, so good at this, at this piece of it, at, at really sort of letting their own guard down so that their clients can be vulnerable, right? That's such a big piece of it, that vulnerability piece of saying, yeah, you know, I've, 
I've been there before, or I've had a family member that's been there before, or I've, you know, just trying to reach them on that, on that level and find that source of common ground, I think is, is really important. And it's sort of, it's a really underrated part of being an advisor is, is sort of being personally vulnerable with your clients, I think allows them to be vulnerable with you and therefore make them a better, you know, allow them to make more you know, sound long-term decisions. I mean, that's a great, the term vulnerable, right? So if we think about if for a client who, whether they're working with an advisor today, right, or they're not, and they're, you know, they've had the thought of, hey, over time, maybe, you know, I probably should hire someone to help me out here, right? I'm probably making a bad decision just on investments. And they probably aren't thinking, oh, I didn't realize when I start to work with Alex that we're going to start talking about the emotional side of money, but for you, I feel like I'm sure you're trying to help them reach ultimate wealth, right? That 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 term wealth and, you know, at Hightower, we've this W-E-L-L-T-H, right? I know that and that term is, is, is intentional to say, hey, listen, there's more to this than just the dollars, right? There is and you get to your last moments of your life. Did you lead a successful life, right? What was wealth to you, your family, et cetera, legacy, but for someone who is thinking about working with or already working with, how would you advise them to, you know, and I'm sure part of this takes time, but how would you advise them to, in terms of opening up to you, right, to help you be a better financial advisor, to help them get to, right, achieving those ultimate goals beyond just the the dollar signs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an awesome question, because I think that the you know, I don't, I want to make sure that for our listeners, they're not, you know, getting the message of, you know, you should just be an open book to literally anybody you talk to, right? Because that, that can result right, in some, right. some unintended consequences, <laughs> right? So, you know, but when you're vetting a professional, one of the, you know, I, I mean, there's many checklists on the internet that that are, you know, how to pick a good financial advisor, good questions to ask, are they a fiduciary? Are they registered? You know, do they have any, you know, reported activity on broker check? I mean, these are all sort of the, you know, the check in the boxes. But I think the harder box that that needs to be checked is, you know, sort of is the first is, is, okay, you know, am, am I looking for somebody who, you know, is going to take a very active role in my life, right? And that's, that's an important distinction too. Like as a client, if you're maybe just looking for somebody to like, give you a couple great stock picks, you know, maybe this is not, this is not down your alley, right? So you got to know what you're looking for, right? right? So that's sort of like part one. If you are looking for, you know, really that that family CFO, right, which is what I sort of aspire to be for the families that I work with, you want to make some you want to make sure that you are working with somebody that you feel like over time you can develop that level of trust with. Um, it's not going to be there on day one, right? It probably shouldn't be there on day one because it takes time to really get to know somebody and to really, you know, allow them to steer you or to help steer you in a positive, you know, long-term financial direction. But, you know, if you're going in a meeting with somebody and thinking, wow, this person's really talking over my head, or I'm not really, you know, resonating with them on a, on a, you know, on a personal level, I'm not really feeling like I'm ever going to be in a position where I'm going to be able to open up and talk about these tough things. I'd rather talk to my CPA or attorney about that, right? That might be a sign that that person that you're wanting to be your, you know, your your personal CFO is, you know, maybe not the right choice. And I come back to, you know, because I I can completely understand why, you know, some folks are, you know, in this, you know, I'm going to do Vanguard, I'm going to do it myself, I'm going to do low cost, whatever. 
Um, but I think it comes back to, you know, there's a, and I mentioned this in our article, right? There's this, there's the study that was done and, and the, the question was, you know, sort of what are, what are your fears, right? You know, is it, is it premature death? Is it, you know, running out of money? Is it, you know, major health implications, et cetera? Um, and, you know, the, the results were shocking to me, which was that more Americans are f- afraid of running out of money than they are of dying, right? So you're talking about something that is literally the most personal topic you can talk about with someone, right? But nobody talks about it. I mean, in our society, talking about money and having open conversations about finances and how much should you be earning or how should you be approaching budgeting or how do you do a tax return or how do you even start investing? We don't have those conversations in our education system. We don't have those conversations really until you're like, oh, crap, I have my first job. I have to file a tax return. Like, what do I do? Like, I have to enroll in a 401k. What do I do? Right? Right. So So it's, it's that. I think that shift in mindset that we all need to make as as sort of our society is, hey, this is a this is a really big problem. If if we as Americans are more worried about our money than we are of dying, right? We we're more worried about that than we are of death. To me, that says you really need to have somebody that you really, really trust on your team. I mean, who are you talking to about your healthcare decisions? Your medical professionals. How quickly are you going to switch your medical professional if you don't trust them or if all of a sudden they're giving you bad advice, right? I encourage people, you know, people who are listening today, if you're if you don't have that connection with your advisor or, or you're not working on it or you don't see that that could be a connection that you could have, maybe that's not the right person to be guiding you through something that is so just such a raw fear for for most of the country. Maybe you need somebody that's more compatible for you on on that front. So on that, do you have any words of advice or wisdom for someone who maybe is in that and saying, Hey, you know what? I've been talking to my husband about this for years. We got to go hire somebody. I mean, what, what should they be looking for? Right. In, in, in your minds, I know you're a little biased, right? Because you are one, but like, if there's a piece of advice you could say to someone, Hey, you know, you should really be asking these type of questions. This isn't going to show up in those spreadsheets that you're going to see on the internet, right? This isn't going to show up in the checklist, maybe on the softer side, as we're talking about today, any pieces of advice that you would have for someone? I think that the number one thing I'd encourage clients who are looking for an advisor to focus on is, is the first meeting about the advisor or is it about you? So one of the most um, common comments I I get from new clients, right? Or or folks that I'm, you know, looking to start a relationship with is is that when I go meet with my advisor, it's always about what they're doing, right? It's about their team, it's about their investments, it's about their performance numbers. It's not about why are you here? What are you looking to get out of this relationship? What are your priorities? What's important for you? What's important for your spouse? Do you have family priorities? What are your values as a family? What are your core beliefs as a family? You know, what are your, what do you think about legacy? Is that important to you? What is, you know, when you're, when you are, you know, making your monthly budget, I mean, do you, do you, do you know what your monthly budget is? Are you worried about that? Is that a stress point for you? Like kind of taking, I believe that that first meeting is all the client, right? Because how am I going to know how I can help 
if I don't do an exhaustive interview of some kind, right? I mean, it's uh, to use a super, probably overused, very common, but very applicable just example is, you know, when you go to a doctor and you say, I don't know what's, you know, my, my arm hurts, right? They're not going to say like, oh, okay, you immediately need a cortisone shot and it's surgery and an MRI, right? They're going to say, no, no, no. What are your other symptoms? Did you, you know, did you whack your elbow on something? Did this start from nowhere? Have you been eating poorly? What's your blood pressure? I mean, it's a total comprehensive exam. They may send you to a specialist or et cetera to see what what really makes the most sense for you. They're not just going to start talking about what they do, where they went to school and what drugs they like to prescribe. I mean, all of that stuff is sort of like, in, in my view, kind of a red flag that that might not be a holistic advisor if they're keeping it all about them. I think the client has to look for somebody that's going to make it all about their family, their goals, what they want and what they need. I joke with any prospective client I sit down with, I said, yeah, I'm going to apologize in advance, but I'm going to be putting you to work today. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be all about you. And they're, you know, sometimes they're more often they're not than not. They're, they're kind of taken aback by that because it's, um, you know, I, I, I guess it's, it's not as common as, as one might think. Right. Well, that's great. If we use COVID, as just an example that we're dealing with right now, right? Again, people are, I'm sure, scared, maybe more so a couple months ago, but still in in the moment, you know, this concept of fight or flight, hey, and whether you know it or not, when you're aware of how you react in a moment of stress, this concept of are you going to fight or are you going to flight? And I think when when we think about it from an investment side, are you going to go and sell everything because you're worried that the world's going to end? I would imagine a big part of your job when working with clients is educating them on what those decisions could mean either way, right? And and saying, hey, I understand, but look what this, if you do X in this situation, this is the impact this could have on you, right? So think about it this way. I mean, how does education play into it for you when working with clients, right? Across the board of helping them either be aware when a situation arises or just being mindful of in these types of situations, you know, this is what you need to be thinking of, being aware of. I just feel like education, I'm sure for all of us in any, any, any parts of our life, the more educated we are, right, the better we are to make decisions and being, I'm sure, aware of your personal bias in those moments, again, back to the fight or flight, are you going to stay or are you going to sell everything and, and, you know, go off reservation? How does education play into your process? I will say that as the, so my, my dad actually was a, uh, started his career as a teacher and, um, he is still a teacher to this day. He's a, uh, he, he teaches in his, uh, his current profession uh, that, that edu- that educational component is sort of the foundation, right? And what I try to help my clients with when we're creating their plan is sort of walking them through the reason behind why we take certain levels of risk to achieve certain goals, right? So as really taking it back and saying, okay, like this, this bucket of money is your long-term growth money. And this is, you know, just like I, I, you know, Benjamin Graham, Warren, but one of Warren Buffett's mentors, legendary investor, you know, he sort of teaches us, right? Like you should expect, right? This money is going to go down 35% in a year, every year, right? So that's what he was saying back in, you know, the, the early 19, the, uh, basically the early 19th century, right? So when, when we're choosing investment plans for some, we say, okay, 
this is what that means. It's not just a percent. It's not just a rogue percentage. This is what that number might change to during a short period of time. However, when you look at, for example, healthcare cost inflation, healthcare costs go up by 5% a year. You can't possibly have your money keep up with, with that bucket of inflation if we're not exceeding that. How do we exceed that? We take more risk. So that way, when we go through bad periods, our clients can come back and say, oh yeah, that's right. That's my healthcare bucket. This is my intermediate term bucket. This is my, if something happens to the roof and I need a roof repair, I can go into this portfolio or my monthly income is coming from this bucket, which is safe and you know doesn't have volatility. So it's, it's helping clients kind of see the purpose behind each of those investments. One of the, one of my favorite sort of studies that I think a lot of advisors in the industry have seen, but maybe not a lot of clients have seen is that Putnam American funds, you know, they major fund companies put, put out these studies that show sort of the impact of making these rash decisions. Are you totally in or totally out of the market? Right. Because you can make the decision to totally get out. And I've had many clients say, oh yeah, I, I liquidated my whole portfolio the first week of March. I liquidated my whole portfolio you know, in, in June of 2008 before things got bad. But then the follow-up question on my end becomes, so when did you get back in? <laughs> and usually the answer is, well, I haven't gotten back in yet. Right. So Putnam put out this study, you know, this is, these are all numbers as of the end of December of 2019, but they, they took a look at a time period from basically the, you know, December 31st of 2004 to December 31st of 2019. Right. So nice big chunk of time, full market cycle. So if you stayed fully invested during that time period, which included 2008, included 2018, included 2011, included a bunch of stuff in the middle, you would have annualized a 9% total return, right? So that's pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. Take that. If you missed the 10 best days of the market, so 10 days, I don't know anybody that's smart enough to pick the 10 best days in the market. Your average annual rate of return went from 9% to 4.13%. 10 days over that amount of time, right? It's like one day a year. If you've missed the 30 best days. So if you were out for a month, right? And of best days, your rate of return went from 9% to negative 1.35% a year. Wow. It's like staggering. I mean, it's it's just, and, and I tell my clients this, I'm more than happy to make incremental changes, right? Like, and, and this is something that we really espouse, right? We, we don't, we're not telling clients that you shouldn't make changes if your risk tolerance is changing, right? We are not saying that there might be things that, you know, in any market, if we're seeing things fundamentally change that you, you might want to, you know, make again, marginal changes to protect or to take advantage of growth. But I don't know anybody that's smart enough to pick what, over a 15-year time frame is going to be the 30 best single day returns of the stock market. It's just, it's not possible. So I come back to that when clients do sort of tend towards making large asset allocation shifts, i.e. being totally in or totally out of the market, because usually when the market is getting to that scary point, right? Some of those best days are happening in the middle. 
those, mm-hmm. you know, even if you look back in March, you know, you'd have the big, you know, the big drawdown days, and then you'd have huge up days like the following week. And that's part of what leads to all this confusion, right? It's not just the downside volatility, it's the upside volatility of seeing things go up for no reason. And why is this happening? And and this market doesn't seem to make sense. And and yeah, in, in short time periods, it's really easy to feel like that. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense sometimes, right? It's just, it's okay. We've just got to let things settle out. But reacting to that and then not having a plan because you can always justify your your thesis, right? You can always justify a bullish or a bearish case. I mean, in any market, you can justify either one. You really just want to take that with moderation. And I think that's where the financial counseling comes in is you should you absolutely can make small changes at the margin to, you know, sort of sort of settle your fears, right? To to help you guide through periods that are easier or guide through periods that are more difficult without sort of that overhang of stress. And I, you know, I think that that's a really important thing for clients to realize that that's okay. It's these wide, I'm in or I'm out or I'm 80% equity and now I'm 30% equity. That's the stuff where I see folks get hurt. And it comes back to that those initial discussions and those ongoing discussions about, you know, hey, when things are great, you know, what if you looked at your equity bucket, which, you know, might be $2 million and you saw it drop to one? Would you be, I mean, no one would be thrilled about that, but would you be able to look at the names that you hold and, and go through that period? Or would you be calling being like, Alex, what the heck? You know, and that's, and those are the conversations that you have to have on an ongoing basis with your advisor when things are great to make sure that the risk that you're taking is is reasonable and to make sure that you're emotional biases towards watching the portfolio or through different times, you know, can, can really, you know, don't get the best of you during those, during those times. Yeah. I can imagine for you when you're trying to work with a client where we've been on a, think about it the last 10 years, right? The market's been going up, rising tide lifts all boats. So when someone's answering a question, I'm sure in the moment they're thinking of, oh, Sure. Right. Downside. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything. Right. But then when they get in that moment, they, they're again, that's fight or flight. The natural tendency comes out and you're, I'm sure this is where you're earning your alpha and to say, Hey, listen, you, you told me right back then that this was what, how you would react if this happened. And now you're telling me counterintuitively that's you're doing the opposite. But I think that's where, again, the power of having an advisor, this is where you can help people to say, regardless of how you answer that question, let's get through the moment today. Right. You know, Vanguard had that that study or study that is ongoing, obviously, the concept of advisors alpha. And I think the latest one I saw was, again, the concept is to say, what does an advisor, can? how can an advisor help your return? And it's through all the things that Alex and I are talking about today is just the the emotional side of this or not doing something in, in, a, in being reactionary. But what that can mean to you, right? And so that proving the advisor alpha as they, as they term, it's a powerful concept. To that, to those questions, Alex, what would you, in terms of working with clients, what, what do you as an advisor, what is the most rewarding for you, right? What do you get the most out of what in working with your clients? So I have to say, and again, you know, every advisor is, is different, but I really sort of cherish my client relationships as if they were extensions of my family, if that makes sense. So, you know, again, you know, when I'm, when I'm working with the, with a client, I'm the best, the clients that fit best with, with me as an advisor and with our practice are not the clients that, you know, want the latest stock pick or want, you know, just, oh, well, I want to make sure you beat the benchmark every year, right? Like that's not, 
that's not what we're going for. Like I want to work with somebody who really wants, you know, they want somebody to be checking in on their financial plan for them every year. They want proactive conversations about, you know, Hey, you know, how are we, how's your son doing with his, you know, with his education plan? And, and are we fun, setting us up enough money aside for that? So when he, gets into college, he can still have access for those resources? Or are we working with the town to see, you know, if there's grants that we can apply for? I mean, it's, it's, it's not just that, you know, here's how your investments did see in three months. It's truly that comprehensive focus of, you know, what really matters to clients take sort of taking what really matters to them and marrying sort of what they can control about those situations and finding that sort of happy medium and being as prepared as possible, right? So that we're we're addressing those issues that really matter with things that we can control or things that we can that we are likely to control with a high probability, right? That's the type of client that that I really love working with because they allow me to be that intimately involved in every aspect of their personal and financial lives. And that's a level of trust that that continues to amaze me to this day that I have, you know, in some cases earned that ultimate trust, right? It's it's hugely rewarding for me. And it's hugely powerful for me to see clients, you know, after five, 10 years of working together, you know, when I'm when I first worked with them, you know, maybe it was every time the market dropped a percent, I was getting a phone call to now we've been through this time and time again, you know, you've, you've shown us this time and time again, we're not, we're not worried, right? We, we get it. We're, we're not, we're not driven to make these changes. What we want to talk about is this charity, right? We want to talk about, you know, making a real impact in our community by helping this portion of the population, or we want to talk about making a legacy gift to our grandchildren or something that, that they can control right? Versus letting these, you know, the headlines, the day-to-day fluctuations, the year-to-year fluctuations in in economic policy and government policy. It's sort of that stuff we can't control, right? So it's focusing on what we can and helping make those those priorities a reality with as high of a level of confidence as, as, as is reasonable, right? So. That's great. There's a quote in the article that I love just because I love the book, but would love your your take on what that means to you. It's from Atlas Shrugged. Money is only a tool. It will take you wherever you wish, but it will not replace you as the driver. What does that mean as an advisor? So again, and again, this kind of goes back to, you know, where our society is today in productive conversations about money, is which is we don't really have them right? I cannot tell you how many times I meet with families and the question of how much do you spend every month comes up and, and you can rattle off your bills, you know, you can rattle off your mortgage payment, rattle off, oh, utilities, oh, cable, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what about like food and kids stuff? And, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. This is the thing that's causing us the most anxiety as a culture, right? Again, Fear of fear of running out of money is bigger than fear of death, right? So we have such anxiety about this as a culture, but we're still not talking about it and we're still not having these conversations. And to me, that quote really brings back that importance of 
pro of being proactive, being proactive, not only with big picture choices about, you know, how your investments are positioned and how, you know, how you're selecting your advisor and how, what, how you're approaching your long-term plan. It's the day-to-day decisions of, am I watching where my money's going? Do I know how much money that I'm saving? Do I know how much money that I'm spending? Do I know if I'm a saver or a spender by personality? And do I have the right tools in place to make sure that I can sort of overcome those personality biases and be financially successful? You know, I'm the first one to admit to my clients, I say, I'm a spender by nature, right? Admitting it to the world, right? By nature, I'm a spender. I have to set up... Hey, I mean, there's, there's a lot of us and it's okay. It's not like, it's not like you're going to be like, you know, you're, there's no, it's not like there's no solution, right? Yeah. It's okay. This is who I am. I'm going to embrace that and I'm going to take control of that and set up things that will help me like automatic savings plans, like accounts that I don't look at. So I don't know they exist. Well, not that I don't know they exist, but I don't look at them every day. I'm not leaving that money in my checking account for me to grab and spend it on the latest, you know, home improvement item or or bag or piece of jewelry or whatever it is, right? Because that's who I am. So I need to set myself up for success by acknowledging that and putting things in place. And I think that that's really what that means to me is, you know, money can take you wherever you want to go. It, it absolutely can. You can use it to better family members, better yourself, better your community, better people that care about you. But in order to do that, you sort of have to start with that with that introspective look of, well, you know, what's what's my bias towards money? Save or spender? Am I afraid of it? Do I do I just sort of like cringe every time I hear financial planning brought up because it's scary and it sort of doesn't make sense? It's removing that and saying, all right, we figure this out with the right people on my team. I can drop my guard a little bit, figure this out, set up something that's going to make me successful, right? Whether it's, you know, working with an advisor, doing it yourself, having that plan, taking control of that so that you can be empowered to get to those places that you want to be. And so you don't have to have that as your biggest fear, right? That's great. If you had one piece of advice for the audience listening today, right? I'm sure there's a lot of people who are already working with somebody, may not be working or thinking about it around the concept of this emotional investing, emotion versus versus reason, right? So balancing your emotions during times of extreme stress. If you had one piece of advice for listeners of the podcast to take away from today, what would it be? I would have that that conversation with yourself of, you know, have I really taken an active role in in my financial life, right? And, or am I just kind of assuming that everything's fine and I'm assuming that one day I'm going to wake up with a gazillion dollars in the bank and have a yacht, right? It's it's it money is very intentional, right? I mean, you think of everything that everything that that's done, right? You think about how office buildings are built. You think about how, you know, how you grow in your, in any career, how you become a scientist, how you become an architect, how you, how you, you know, lose weight, how you run a marathon. Any of these large accomplishments are start with very small, very digestible bites. And if you haven't sort of taken control of your financial life by either working with an advisor that you really love and trust or taking advantage of a lot of the great financial tools out there, you know, the the free financial resources, it's to start having that conversation with yourself and then 
making sure that maybe what you have put in place is aligned with your personality, your values, your biases, so that when you go through periods of stress, whether it be exogenous stresses that we can't control, like politics or the market going up and down, or internal, you know, sort of more family stresses, like, you know, losing a, a, a spouse, use it, uh, going through a divorce, going through a difficult period, losing a job, that you've got that, you're ready, you know, you're you're training, right? You've got a training plan in place so that when it's time for battle, you're there. And that's, the, you've got to sort of have that same approach with your finances. You, you can't just expect everything to be rosy if you don't take some sort of action towards making it be so. It's not scary, I promise. <laughs> if you're working with the right person, it shouldn't be. You know, it's and you got to take it at your own pace, right? You're not going to solve, not going to be an architect in a day. You're not going to build the Empire State Building in a day, right? This is something that you're going to, it's going to take time. But don't wait to start because all of that time is time that you don't get back, right? And that's our most valuable resource at the end of the day. Right. So... That was going to be my next question is, when's the right time to start working with an advisor, Alex? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. we could get we could get into like the, the power of compounding money and, and all that good stuff. But I don't I also don't want to put our audience to sleep with too oh, many sure. math, uh, sure. math examples. But yeah, <laughs> but literally yesterday, I mean, there's there's you're never too young or too old to start asking the questions, right? And start asking for help. And the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be to correct some of those mistakes. So for and, and get a, the right plan in place, right? So, you know, if you if you wait to start training for your marathon a week before you start, not not really sure if that marathon's going to work out for you, right? But if you start a year in advance, you got plenty of time to, you know, start with a 5k and then start with a five mile and then continue to a 10 mile. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're running half marathons, you're doing your long runs and then you're waiting for the marathon. You're like, Oh, I can do this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm got it. I'm ready. If you wait a week, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to do that. Right. So that's, that's why I say yesterday. Do you feel like your phone rings more during times of political, economic, right? Cultural stress. I know you mentioned earlier, which was a great point of like those things compound what you're going through personally, right? But do you feel like more people pick up the phone and call you guys when COVID is happening, when there's an election happening, when there's things like that? Or in your mind, is that not really, is, is that not really the case? I'll, I mean, it, I will say that it, that it depends. And it's in, to your point too, I mean, to our earlier discussion about, you know, the fact that, that, exogenous stressors can compound sort of internal stress. I don't think there's ever a way to, to get away from that. Right. And I also don't want folks listening to this podcast thinking that like, you know, like if, if, if you are worried about what's going on, that you shouldn't call your advisor. I tell my clients all the time, I'm like, this stuff is scary. Like, like even when COVID started, I was calling them. I'm like, how are you? How are right. you doing? Are you freaking out? Like, how's your family? Are you healthy? Are you safe? And some clients are like, yeah, why are you calling me? You know, like, but, <laughs> right. but some people said, you know, I'm really glad you called me because I am worried about this. And I'm, you know, I want to talk about the portfolio and I want to feel like my advisors, they're with me, right? Like that, that they're not just alone. And I think that that's, that's very important too, is, is having those conversations and revisiting these decisions 
as you're going through times of stress, to your earlier point, it's it's easy to be 100% in stocks over the last 10 years pre-COVID because everything's pretty great, right? But when you go through a really scary time like this, it's absolutely why, I, you know, I want my clients to call me if they're uncomfortable. I want them to reach out to me if they're, if they're confused or concerned, especially if they're going through something else that might be driving, you know, spiking their fear, right? Or, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a, we've had, we had a lot of first responders that were, that were reaching out. We had a lot of business owners who were reaching out saying, Hey, you know, what is this PPP program? Like, how can I use this? I'm going through a tough time right now. Like, who do I talk to? And, and it's, it's, you know, we don't always know that our clients need help. So making sure that you're reaching out when you do that, we can help you that much faster. You know, it's not a bad thing to raise your hand and say, Hey, I, you know, I need help. And that's why you have us, right? That's, that's, we want that. I will say that, that this year for us has been an incredible year for growth of, of new relationships where we've had the ability to help clients that maybe were doing things on their own and had never really been through a tough period like this before, or clients that had, you know, were experiencing some sort of major life change that really said, wow, this is sort of, you know, what better time than now to get to start working with somebody, you know, when, when I'm trying to manage what's going on in the headlines and what's going on socially and what's going on in the market, what's going on with my family. So we do see that during times that are that are difficult, that we tend to tend to have the opportunity to work with more families because more and more families are looking for help. And that's, you know, that's our job. That's that's why we get up in the morning is to make sure that we're there for folks and that we're, you know, we're just making their lives a little bit less stressful because they know that they can, you know, they can call me, they can call Rob, Charlie, Matt at any moment and say, you know, Hey, I need help with this. I'm raising my hand and we're, we're, God will do our damnedest to make sure that we get them the help that we, that they need. So, cause I mean, I'll, I know I can speak for my partners. I probably can't speak for all advisors, but you know, I mean, we don't sleep during times like this because we're worried about what our clients are feeling, right? It's like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm hoping she's okay, or I'm hoping he's okay, or I'm hoping that, you know, that family member's doing okay, or, you know, it's it's that, I mean, that's that's how invested we are. You know, we don't we don't want our clients to feel like they they can't call us. You know, that would be the that would be the worst thing ever, you know. So well, this speaks to your comment earlier about being a financial counselor, right? So the counselors come in, in times of need and times of stress. So that's awesome. Alex, thank you so much for the time. We very, very much appreciate it and uh, look forward to talking with you soon. Mike, thank you so much for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. It was truly my privilege to uh, be on here with our fabulous host and hope to be back on the air soon with you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. A huge thanks again to Alex Mealy for sharing her wisdom around emotional investing. And thanks to you all for tuning in for this first episode of the Wealth Report podcast. If you have any lingering questions after today's episode, please contact your financial advisor and be sure to tune in next month for episode number two. Hightower is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. 
past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the podcast guests and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.